morning. You can take a seat. That would be great. It's great to be with you all. Uh, I'm here not because I'm proficient at what I'm about to do, but because Wes is sick and has no voice. So that's where your standards ought to be this morning. It's great to be with you. I know some of you have uh, been coming to, to this building to worship for decades, and so it's probably home. So thanks for inviting me into your home. It's really an honor to be here and, and to be with you all. Uh, for those of us who've been a part of Veritas for a while, it's great to see you all too. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors with Veritas. I oversee community groups and, and learning. Um, I'm married to Kate. We've been married for 14 years. We have three little ones Shay is nine, Reed is seven, and Eileen is five, and uh, they are something. They're something. Uh, so we, we're, we're thankful for them keeping us young and tired, I guess. Well, we're, we're going through this series called Remembering Our Redemption, where we're seeing the whole scripture as a story of redemption, a story of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, you didn't grow up maybe with that understanding of Scripture. It was more compartmentalized. And so this has been really refreshing to, to go back through and see all of the Bible as one coherent story, finding its um, yes, finding all the promises uh, come together in this God-man, Jesus Christ, and his work for us on the cross. So we're going to specifically talk about, about grace today. And as you read back through the story of the Bible, uh, you can't help but see the need for grace because God's people are continually disappointing, aren't they? I mean, you, you read through the Old Testament and you think, yes, these are God's people, this looks great, this is going really well. And then the leader does something stupid or the people uh, are complaining and nagging and worshiping idols and all these things and you're like, wow. This is really disappointing. There's, there's, gonna, there's a need for something else because these people clearly can't do it. They clearly can't accomplish it themselves. And so when, when are these people going to really be God's people? I like to, to think of the whole story of Scripture. A guy named Paul Zoll states it this way. I, I think it's appropriate. He says, the story of the Bible is the story of this perpetual war between law and grace. The story of the Bible is the story of this perpetual war between law and grace. And so you see God in the Old Testament giving a law, building on that, continually showing people they can't meet that. And there's this war where people think, I'm gonna try to meet it, we're gonna accomplish it, we're gonna do it, we're gonna attain to be God's people. And then there's a falling out, and they have to figure out what to do then. Work harder, uh, obey more, or somehow rest in something called God's grace. And so there's this constant war happening throughout the scriptures of law and grace. Here's how I want to define grace for us today. Grace is God's one-way love that does not depend on anything you bring to the table. God's grace is one-way love that doesn't depend on anything you bring to the table. And so the parable that we're going to look at in, in Luke chapter 15 is going to really describe this perfectly. 
Jesus is basically gonna give a story to describe that definition of grace that I just gave. And if you're a guy like me, that's a really, to hear that definition is really good news. Because what I bring to the table often isn't much good at all. Uh, or if I bring something good, I bring 50 bad things along with it, right? And so I, I'm very thankful for the fact that grace is God's one-way love. You see the distinction there, one-way love. This isn't transactional love. Like, I'll love you, then you love me, I'll give you some more love, then you love me, I'll give you some more love. We're talking about one-way love that's not dependent on anything you bring to the table. That's what I think Jesus is gonna show us here in Luke chapter 15. So in chapter 15 of Luke, we have three parables. We have first the parable of the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. We're gonna focus on the prodigal son this morning. So listen to this. Some of you are familiar with it, others aren't. So listen to this parable that Jesus gives. Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my of property that is coming to me. And he divided, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his pro property in reckless living. And when he, had, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when, you came, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was a, still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, this, now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead 
and is alive, he was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, help us today. We need your help to understand your word. We need your help to have hearts that want to receive your word. So would you please grant that to us, and Lord, please speak through me and build up your saints and give them the glorious words of the gospel. May it be good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look back through the story, because I know you heard it, but let's kind of go back through it so we, we really understand it. At the beginning of chapter 15 is a very important statement, and that is, verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And it's very important to see that those are the the two groups of people who are present when Jesus tells these parables. And what he's going to do is tell a parable and put both of those groups of people in the parable and hope that they find themselves in the parable. Instead of just telling them, you guys are like this, you need to repent of this, you guys are like this, and you need to repent of this, he's gonna tell them this wonderful story and hope they say, I think that brother is me. I think he's saying that to me, that's what I'm like. So many of you are familiar with this story, but let's review. The younger son makes a request. He wants his inheritance now. Of course, the only time you divide inheritance is when someone dies. So basically, he says to his father, you're as good as dead to me. Just give me your goods. That's that's all I want, and I'll be on my way. It's a quite unusual request. The father doesn't have to. The father has a choice. Either he dies to this picture of this beautiful family that he's always wanted. It's about to come crumbling down. Either he dies to that whole Uh, picture and the whole project that he has of trying to keep a family together and have a good face and a good picture to the community. He either dies to that or he tries to keep it together and it probably doesn't stay together anyway. So he agrees and we see the first death, I think, in this story, which is the father dying to the life that he's always hoped for. And he goes through the process of getting his son his inheritance, which took some some doing. You know, this is, this is a landowner, so he had, he had to sell some land. He had to go through that whole process of doing that. The, the son doesn't want land, does he? He just wants what fix, fits in a sack, and he can get off to the city and, and live it up. So he doesn't, he's not interested in land. He's interested in the money. So the father goes through that process and gives it to the son, and there he's off, off to the big city to become a party animal. He has lots of parties, lots of friends, Probably lots of morning afters, too. Uh, But he's having a great time living it up. But the money doesn't last forever. Pretty soon he's got cheaper booze and cheaper drugs and cheaper women, smaller parties and less friends. And then, to make it worse, a famine hits. Now he's really out of money with no hope of getting any more. I wonder... Have you ever been in a situation where you kind of think, this is really bad, and then something happens to make it worse? Have you ever been in that spot? Well, when you're in that spot, like this son, it's either just that, uh, a really bad circumstance gotten worse, or perhaps it's God's grace towards you to bring you to the bottom so that you'll finally give up and accept this crazy thing called grace. 
could be that too. So he gets a job feeding pigs. Now remember, this is, uh, he's talking to a, a Jewish audience, so uh, feeding pigs would not be a very good job that you'd want. It'd probably be about the lowest of the low. He's working with unclean animals. He's cut off from his family, and he maybe starts to realize what he's lost. And the way he realizes it is because he starts to get hungry. You know, it's the pit of his stomach. It, he starts to get hungry, and when he, get, when he thinks of hunger, he, he remembers his home. Remember those great meals we used to have at Dad's place? Remember the spread on that table was unbelievable that we had. Even the servants were well-fed at that place. It was amazing. And so he thinks, I should, I should head home. I know I can't be a son. I've disgraced my family. I've rejected my dad. But he'll at least let me be a servant. But he realizes he'll have to face his dad. So what's he going to say when he faces his dad? What's he going to do? So he comes up with this little mantra I've sinned against God and you. I'm not worthy to be a son. I've blown it, but can I, can I just be a servant? And he thinks, I, know, I think my dad will do it. He'll, he'll let me in. And so he's got his speech all prepared. He's a long way off. And his father sees him from a long way off. And he grabs his robe, you know, kind of grabs it and pulls it all together so he can sprint down the lane to his son. This is a wealthy landowner. He doesn't do things like that. There's no reason for him to run anywhere. He's got servants to do all of his things for him. He doesn't run. He just commands people to do things. But not here. Cinches up his robe and he takes off down the road towards this wretched son of his. He embraces his son, puts his arm around, arms around this filthy son of his, and here goes his son starting this speech. But you notice the father doesn't even really seem to pay attention to it, does, it? does he? He just doesn't even respond to it. He just embraces his son and then starts giving instructions. Kill the fatted calf, get shoes for his feet, give him the best robe, give him the family ring. It's party time. My son is home. You might say this was a, an example of one-way love that wasn't dependent upon anything the son brought to the table. He surely didn't bring much good to the table. He had a lot against him on the spreadsheet, on the balance sheet. There was a lot in the red. So they throw a party. This is a public feast. They would have invited everyone around. The father is not uh, ashamed of his son. He invites friends and neighbors and says, look, my son who was dead, he's alive. My son who was lost, he's found. Such joy because of such love from this father. But the interesting part is that it's a love disconnected from the son's inherent goodness or badness. It's as if it doesn't even pay attention to the goodness or badness of the son. So notice what you don't hear. You don't hear the father saying, now son, have you learned your lesson? Can you promise me that you'll never do this again? Now you know you'll have to pay back what you've squandered. He doesn't even say, all right, now tell me of all of your wrongs, why you were gone, fess up to all of those. He's just awarded sonship and he doesn't pay any price at all. A writer and theologian, Robert Capone, says this, 
The father simply sees this corpse of a son coming down the road, and because raising the dead, raising dead sons to life and throwing fabulous parties for them is his favorite way of spending an afternoon, he proceeds straight to hugs, kisses, and resurrection. Ha <laughs> that's good stuff right there. Uh, this, this story should, maybe it is, angering many of us. Those of us who live by the you get what you deserve really want a different story here. Those of us who have picked ourselves up by the bootstraps and think we've gotten through life quite well, uh, we don't like this story very much. I mean, the outright sinner is rewarded. The one who says, I've blown it, I've ruined everything, he's the one who gets the party. Well, that's not very fair. He gets the ring, he gets the robe, he gets the fattened calf. Calf. He gets what a perfectly obedient son deserves, but that's not him. Then the scene shifts in the second, second part of this story. Now I want you to think of the law. If, if it's this tug of war between grace and the law, that, that was the, the piece of grace. Now I want you to think about the law as you hear this second piece. Here comes the older brother out from the fields. He's directing the affairs of the state, doing quite well at it, I assume. He hears music and dancing. The whole hilltop is rocking. It's never been lit up like that before. It's unbelievable. And he knows what it is. There's only one thing in the world that would demand such a party like that. And so he asks, what's going on up there? You can imagine his nostrils are flared, his face is red, his fists are clenched. He's probably saying it through grit, gritted teeth. Music, dancing, expense, and on a work day. He's not happy. Why this foolishness? What about the shipments to our customers? What, what about who's minding the store? What about our responsibilities? What about all these things? Come on, people. The servant says, your brother is home and now he's found. He's dead and he was dead and is alive. And his brother, the older brother, is furious. He doesn't want to go to the party. After all, someone has to exercise a little responsibility around here. But look at the response of the father in verse 28. He was angry, the son, the older son, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. So just as the father pulled up his robe and ran to his wretched son. Here he comes out to his religious son as well and he pursues him as well. Even in his anger, even in his sin, the father comes down to him. He shows him love despite who he is. He shows him a one-way love, if you will. But the older brother thinks the younger brother should be punished, not celebrated. The inheritance has already been split. Are, are you wanting me to now give up the, my half of the inheritance and only get a fourth so we can give a fourth to this bozo who's ruined it all? Not interested in that. He should get the, what's due him. He should get the results of his actions. I've earned what's mine. Now he can get what he deserves. He's angry with his brother, with his father, and with all the people at the party celebrating such irresponsibility. He says, you never let me even have a mini party with a little goat. This kid comes home after rejecting you and basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, and you kill the fattened calf? Hear the resentment. Hear the anger. He says he has no love in his heart because in his mind, love is earned. 
And by golly, he's earned love. Look at the scorecard. His scorecard is almost flawless. Unless you look underneath to his heart, of course. But the scorecard is flawless. The father has compassion and invites him in. It says in 31, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. He's saying, hey, look, me and your brother are just a couple guys who have realized our deadness. I had to die, your brother's died, and now we're enjoying this process of resurrection together. It's beautiful. Come celebrate with us. Come enjoy. All that is required of the older brother is just to realize his deadness, realize he isn't who he needs to be, realize his heart is filled with anger and murder, realize his obedience is just a front, and give it up and cling to his deadness. That's all that's required. We just sang it in that song. All that's required is that you, you proclaim your need for him. That's the only thing that's required. Just cling to your deadness. Now, typical readings of this parable focus just on the younger son, and we've done a good job in the church of uh, saying, you know, sort of be more moral and be more religious and totally neglecting the second half of this and the older brother and focusing on that as well. But what's so amazing about this story, it's just one word that makes sinners and people who are at the bottom and sufferers and people who know they can't leap out of their seats, and that word is grace. And that is good news to people who are beat down and realize they can't do it and they can't pick themselves up by the bootstraps and they've tried for years and it's not working and they can't be what God wants them to be. They wish they could, but they can't. And this word grace is extremely good news to people like us who've been through that. But the requirement is too far beneath the older brother because he's earned what he's got and he's fine earning it. He's better than that. To the younger son, the father says, come and eat. There's a table with a a spot for a wretched sinner like you. Come sit down and feast. Even though you don't deserve the food you're about to eat, even though you don't deserve to be at this table, come and enjoy it for free. Just enjoy every, every bit of it. Is the younger brother a sinner? My goodness, of course he is a sinner. No one is debating that, not even him. He's blown it. He's made a complete wreck of his life. And this realization uh, is what's finally leading to life for him. He had to experience death before life, and that was his process of going through death to where he could finally experience life. To the older son, the father says, you've been invited to a wonderful banquet. Everything's been provided. All is prepared. Come and eat with your father and your brother. The family is back together. Come and enjoy. It's all been provided for you. His problem is that he refuses to see that he's dead. He doesn't want to cling to his deadness. Grace can't possibly be good news to this guy. Listen to another quote from Robert Capone. The only thing that matters is that fun or no fun, your brother finally died to all that and is now alive again. Whereas you, unfortunately, were hardly alive even the first time around. Look, we're all dead here and we're having a terrific time. We're all lost and we feel right at home. You, on the other hand, are still alive and miserable. And worse yet, you're standing out here in the yard as if you were some kind of beggar. Why can't you see? You own this place. 
And the only reason you're not enjoying it is because you refuse to be dead to your dumb rules about how it should be enjoyed. So do yourself and everybody else a favor. Drop dead. Shut up. Forget about your stupid life. Go inside. Enjoy all the medium rare fattened calf you can handle. Why continue in death? Why continue in the law? Grace has been provided. Go enjoy. If you prefer anger, resentment, condemnation, then by all means, continue this living that you're doing. He wants to hold to standards right and wrong, black and white, you get what you pay for. He thinks that's living, but he's dead. But he won't come to the realization that that's death. He thinks salvation means having a flawless record And if you think that, when you mess up, you're gonna be in real trouble. You're gonna have to somehow add some other goodness to outweigh the badness. And you're gonna have intense regret. He's still gonna operate by the moral scorecard. Uh, What do you think the Pharisees and the religious people are doing right now as they're hearing Jesus talk about this older brother? You know, if they're listening, they're probably getting quite angry. You know, I think he's talking, hey, I think he's talking about us and not very kindly, I might add. So this, this older son, we might say, he avoids Jesus by earning it himself. He doesn't need a savior. He's got the road. He's, he's working himself down the road. He's earning it. It's all good to go. And so he's not lo- losing the father's love because uh, uh, of his goodness, he's, his goodness is keeping him alienated from the Father. Do you see that? His goodness and his right moral standards that he thinks he's holding to is actually keeping him from the love of the Father. Isn't that bizarre? Jesus said in Luke 5.31, those who, who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. This brother says, I'm well, and Jesus has nothing to offer the well. Only to those of us who are sick. Truth is, this older son never wanted the father's presence anyway. He only wanted the father's goods. That sounds a lot like another guy in this story, doesn't it? These brothers aren't that different. You see that the older brother also just wants the father's stuff. He doesn't want the presence of the father. He doesn't want to be with the father. He just wants what the father has. And you see that because of how angry he gets when he gives it to someone who doesn't deserve it. Listen to this, these lyrics from um, the prophets Mumford and Sons. By God's grace, they have these lyrics that are beautiful. It seems that all my bridges have been burnt. But you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. These guys understand what really changes a heart. The law does not. Rules and regulations don't change hearts. It's when you are extended this amazing grace that your heart is actually changed. So what's the, the message of this parable? 
I think it's that you can reject God and be alienated him from him by either breaking his rules or by all keeping them diligently, by re- rejecting him on either side of those, both brothers rejecting the father. Both of those are about you and what you do and what you bring to the table or what you don't bring to the table. And grace tells a different story. It says, I've provided everything already. You don't need to provide anything. You don't need to bring anything. Just come needy and I provide. You just need to see the bottom. You just need to be somebody who's tasted the slop. You need to, you know, have tasted the pig slop, have looked at pig slop and think, that looks delicious. And then all of a sudden you realize this grace sounds like a really good thing for a person like me. So in this story, who are the blessed ones? Really, it's those who are in need. It's those who have messed up. Messed up so badly they don't think they can fix it themselves. So lost, they have no more hope. And so as we read through the Old Testament in this story of redemption, I think that's what God's doing is he's hammering that into our brains hammering into the fact that we can't do it, putting a law before us that mocks us, putting a law before us that makes demands we could never meet. Why? Because he's a cruel God? No, because he's gonna say and do all of it for us. So those of us who try to earn it, we actually forfeit it in our attempts to earn it. This is the the weirdness of the kingdom of grace. Think about the fattened fattened calf with me for a minute. It's killed and then it's the centerpiece of the whole meal. The fattened calf is killed and then you come to this meal and you see this this beautiful meat on the table. Sorry if you're vegan. And I mean, I'm really, really sorry for you. (laughs) It's killed, this calf, and it's, it's basically the centerpiece of the meal. The calf is completely innocent. What did the calf do to deserve being killed and served to these people? He didn't do anything. The calf is killed and he becomes a meal for others. He's killed so that others can have a party. That reminds me of something, or perhaps I should say someone. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he has a meal with his disciples. You know what he says? He says, this this bread, this is my body. And this wine, this is my blood. And then you hear, before that, you hear John, when Jesus comes near, John says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who was killed and now is the centerpiece of everything. In Revelations 5.12, we say, we hear, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, speaking of the manna, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for for the life of the world is my flesh. So I wanna ask, what kind of sinner are you? Are you debased or despising? Which one of these brothers do you kind of resonate with? I have a pastor friend who, when he meets people for the first time, he'll, he'll ask them, so were you a prostitute or a Pharisee? Which one? Some of us are pretty good at, like, 
somehow combining the two, doing both at the same time. That's all of us, isn't it? We're debased and despising. The good news of the gospel is that he sent Jesus to save wretched sinners like us. And he's come to save religious people from their good works, and he's come to save debased people from their debased living. All that is required, you don't bring anything. All you bring is the realization that you're dead, that you bring nothing to the table, that you have nothing to offer. And when we do that, he gives us the badges of sonship that we've squandered and the badges of sonship we could never earn. Grace is, is only good when grace is your only hope. It's only good when it, you're at the bottom and you realize you're dead and you have no other hope, no other string to pull but grace. By dying on the cross, he made us what we could never make of ourselves. He made us beloved sons. Some of you might still be rejecting this gloriously good gift. Some of you are still relying on your goodness to get you to God. And so I wanna encourage you this morning to give up, to stop trying to save yourself and throw yourself upon the mercy of God. To accept that Jesus died for your sins, he paid for your debt, and now live in response to that great grace that you've been shown. Others of you think, you know, God would never accept a person like me. This sounds like the younger son because of what you've done. Your laundry list of sins is so long, God must be so ashamed of you. And we say, stop being so self-centered. Stop thinking you could earn if your works were better. Hear the good news of the gospel. Jesus has already done what is necessary for you to get to God. He's already died and paid for those sins you're so ashamed of. He's done the work to erase your shame. He's paid the price so a rebel like you could enjoy the unrelenting one-way love of God. Hear these words from Revelation 19.9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You're invited. Accept your deadness. Accept the invitation. For we were all lost, but we've been found. We were dead, but made alive in Christ. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you with nothing. We simply come to you with hearts that some of us still don't really believe that we're truly dead. We still believe there's a little bit of life in us. And so I, I pray you please make clear our deadness. And that in our deadness it wouldn't lead us to despair, but it would lead us to hope in Christ. It would lead us to throw ourselves upon the mercies of a God who has a one-way love for sinners like us and transforms us and makes us new and gives us new desires and a new heart and a new life. And we look forward to the day when we are at that marriage supper of the Lamb, sitting at a place we should never have been, should never be, but sitting there because the Lamb was slain on our behalf. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Amen.